It really is good to be together this morning. We can take that slide down for just a moment. Um, uh, good to see you all, River West. Are you glad to be here this morning in worship together? Good, good. I'm glad to be here. I'm inviting you in this moment, whether you're in here in the, in, the, in the room with us or out there tuning in at home, pull out your Bible and open with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is where we're going this morning. And it is really good to see some of you who I can tell are here in the building for the first time. We sure love you. We sure miss you. It's good to be together this morning. I'm excited to get in the word. Okay, here's the thing. On Friday morning, I finally gave in to immense pressure from my wife, and I went to see an eye doctor. Because apparently, as you age, things begin to give out on you. I don't know if you know this, but for me, what's been giving out on me is my ability to see things up close. So I've had 2015 vision my entire life. I can see really far away, but as I've aged, one of the things that's happened is when I, when I look down after I've been looking out and I try to read something right under my nose, my vision is all blurred. And I discovered this in a horror moment right in this room while I was preaching, all right? This is like a pastor's worst nightmare. I'm preaching and I build up this amazing text that I'm about to read and I looked down into my horror. My eyes would not focus on the text in my Bible. And I chalked it off to, I was so filled with the Holy Spirit or something. I was dizzy, you know, and you know, and luckily I have a lot of the Bible memorized. No, I don't. I made something up, I'm sure. So here's what I, so I, I, I realized I've got to go to the doctor and, and my eye doctor confirmed, you're, you need readers. Okay. So I'm getting a pair of transition glasses that will be coming soon. And I'm just preparing you for that moment. All right. Okay. All right. I needed help. I needed help sh sharpening my focus on something right under my nose. And it's sort of like the perfect segue to what I want to do this morning. Because here's what we're going to do together as a church, all right? What we're going to do as a church is, by God's grace, with our Bibles open, I'm going to try to help us as a church sharpen our focus on something that's been right under our noses. I don't know if you know this. Some of you do if you've been around the church for a long time. But we have, River West Church, we have one of the most compelling and clear mission statements as a church that I've ever come across. And we've had it for decades. We've had it for decades. And what I want to do is I'm going to put that mission statement up on the screen, and I'm just going to ask you to hover over it here for a minute. So, so let's put that up here. Now, um, uh, the words on the sides there that are super small, don't worry about those. I'm focused on the big words in the middle there. This is our mission statement as a church. We're building a community of Christ for the world. That's what we've been doing for 30 plus years, and that's what we're going to do by God's grace for 30 more. Amen? Amen. And here's the thing. Some of you see that and you're like, I know that mission statement. I'm, I'm very familiar with that. Some of you are reading that and thinking, I, I think I've heard that before, Right? And some of you are realizing, this is the first time I've ever heard the church's mission statement. And there's reasons for that. I mean, one of the reasons is that over the last 10 months, 
we have, we have experienced tons of change as a church, naturally. This has been a crazy season. Lots of churches have gone through big transitions. We have many people who have joined our church who are, who are new to our community. We've had some people who have left our church. And we've had lots of people that have joined our church. In a sense, River West Church has gone through almost like a replanting, a new beginning. And you know what? That's a really good thing. It's a good thing. Sometimes God in his providence will take his church through seasons of hardship or transformation where big things happen that are outside of your control and you discover in the process that God has his purposes for that. To reform and reshape and even bring new life and new birth to to a community and we've experienced that. And so in many ways, we're experiencing a new beginning. In-person gatherings feel new. If you're like me, you're meeting new people that are part of our community. We're gonna launch new ministries as a church. We're hiring new staff. We're seeing new spiritual life spring up. But there's one thing that's staying with us, like a thread of continuity from our past that's gonna take us into our future. And it's right there. Someone says to you, what's the heartbeat of Riverwest Church? I want you to say, we're building a community of Christ for the world. If someone said to you, what is the thing that drives you as a church? Well, we have a mission. We're building a community of Christ for the world. I love it. It's so balanced. Community, beautiful. That's, that's, not, that's not inward focused. It's focused on the world around us. But did you notice something? It's not an accident, my friends, that Jesus is at the very center. I loved the prayer that Derek led us in. Wasn't that beautiful? Wasn't that beautiful? It's not an accident that Christ is at the center. And, it, and the reason, it's not just that Christ is at the center of our mission statement. The reason Christ is at the center of our mission statement is because Christ is at the center of every single thing that we do as a church. Everything. And so what I want to do this morning, we're going to take a few weeks with this mission statement, but this morning I want to, I want to go to the very center of that circle. And I want to answer the question, what do we mean when we say we're a Christ-centered church? What does that mean? And to do that, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So will you turn there now with me? Because this, this is not something we came up with. This is straight out of God's, God's word, God's heart, his revealed truth. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to a church that was going through some trying times. And when he got to chapter 15, he reminded them of their mission. And I love this passage. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 5. Will you look at it with me? Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. And then to the 12. I love that passage. I love it. 
And here's what I want to say right out of the gate. To be, to be Christ-centered or to have a, a mission statement where Christ is at the center. This is not a novel idea. This goes all the way back to the early church, to the apostle Paul. From the very first days of the church after Christ had ascended, the church recognized that to be the church meant that Christ was at the very center of everything. Christianity is Christ. And the church knew this. The church knew this. So when we say Christ is at the center, we mean exactly what Paul is saying in this passage. Precisely what he's saying. And what I want to do is I want to take everything that Paul just wrote there about being Christ-centered, and I'm going to break it down for you into three uh, headings. I'm going to call them commitments. So I'm going to put these on the screen so you can kind of see this. You'll know where we're headed this morning. Here's what we mean when we say Christ is at the center. Number one, the truth of Christ is our foundation. Number two, the proclamation of Christ is our priority. And number three, the person of Christ is our example. And what I'm going to do over the next 15, 20 minutes together, not only am I going to demonstrate that that's coming from this text, I'm not making these up, not only is it coming from this text, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to call us back to these commitments as a collective whole. Every individual who calls River West home, I'm, I need you. I need your commitment. I need you to be a person who says, I, I believe with all of my heart, every single one of those statements, and I'm committed to that above all things, above all things. So number one, the truth of Christ is our, our foundation, right? It's like the baseline for everything that we do, every aspect of our ministry, every activity that we participate, every mission that we're involved in. The foundation of all of it is the truth of Christ. This is what Paul meant by those words, first importance. You see that in verse three? He says, I delivered to you what I, as, what I received as of first importance. I love that language. What Paul's doing is he's saying, of all the elements of Christian truth, and they're all important, there's one aspect of the, of the truth of Christianity that takes priority. It's, it's like it's at the center, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ, which he lays out there in verse 3. We'll talk about that in a moment, that Christ died, that he was buried, that he was raised. Paul says, okay, all of the truth in your Bible matters. But Paul said, but there's one aspect of it that's, that's, that's central. So don't think of this, don't think of first importance like priority, like step one, step two, step three. Think of it like the way we showed our mission statement. You have all of these truths, they matter, but at the center of it all, like, a, like the hub of a wheel that holds the rest of the things together in cohesion is the truth of Christ, the truth of the gospel. Or think of it like a foundation, a strong foundation. If you know anything about buildings, it doesn't matter how sturdy your walls are or how beautiful your, your home is. If the foundation is weak, the home will crumble. And we believe that as a church. We believe that. We need a strong foundation. But it's more than just us as a church what I want to ask you this morning, my friends, brothers and sisters, can I ask you a question? Is Jesus Christ, is the truth of Christ the very foundation of your life? 
Is it the, have you, have you gone all in? Have you pushed all of your chips to the center of the table and said, I am going to build my life on the truth of Christ and on nothing else? Or is, or is Jesus and your faith one of many things that you've, that you've established your life on? It won't work. There's only one foundation that will last. And it's the reality of Christ. It's the gospel of Christ. And the amazing thing is that this is not the first time Paul has said things like this. So will you keep your finger in 15 and go back to the first part of 1 Corinthians, one of my favorite verses in this book, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I know you'll recognize this language right when I read it. There's probably no aspect of Paul's ministry where he lived out this commitment more than in, in his preaching ministry. In the way he taught and preached. Here's how he said it, 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 and 2. He said, And when, and I, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided, look at this, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I decided to know nothing when I was among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And earlier, Paul had said something similar. He had said, Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Here's the thing you need to realize. Paul was one of the most highly educated people around. He had been educated by the very brightest Jewish scholars. We know from what's been written about Paul, that he was brilliant. He was a scholar. He had an incredible mind. He was ministering in a community, Corinth, that idolized eloquent speech and rhetoric and philosophy. And Paul would have been very tempted, okay? He would have been very tempted when he was in Corinth to try to compete with all of the philosophers and orators of the day to impress the Corinthians. He would have been tempted to wax eloquent about all kinds of things related to philosophy and literature and prove to them, I'm a smart guy. And you know what he did? He did the opposite. He said, I resolved when I was with you to know nothing except the truth of Christ, Christ crucified. I love that. I love that. Does that mean that Paul never talked about other issues, problems in the church, things that were happening around them in their community? No, because we know that he did. In this very letter, Paul addressed divisiveness. He addressed sexual immorality. He addressed racial tension. He addressed all kinds of issues. So we know when Paul says, I resolved to know nothing when I was with you except Christ and him crucified, we know that that doesn't mean that Paul only, every time he was with them, only talked about, let me tell you again about the, the fact that Jesus was crucified. That's not what he's saying. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, no matter what I talked about, whether it was divisiveness in the church or human sexuality or racial tension or, or fill in the blank, what I always did was I started at the center. I started with the gospel. And then I would work out and demonstrate how, in order to understand this other issue that's critical, this social issue, this issue that's happening in the church, this issue of sin, what I need you to first see is why that is a violation or a disruption of the central issue, the issue of first importance, 
Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that's what we mean when we say we're a community of Christ for the world. When we say we're Christ-centered, that's what we mean. We, we mean, yes, we're building community that's Christ-centered and we're, we're looking out into the world in a Christ-centered way. But right here in our gathering, in our ministries, in our worship, in our formation, in our preaching, one of the things that you will notice is that every single time we open the word, Christ is at the center. And we'll keep doing it. Amen. And why? Why? Why does it matter? So let me think about this. Why do you think Paul is driving this home so much? Why is this so important to Paul? Well, let me show you. Go back to chapter 15, verse 3. And let me point out something that's happening in this text. Paul understood something. And you're going to see it there. Paul understood that the gospel is like a deposit of truth that God has entrusted to the church to guard and protect and pass on. That's, that's the way we should think about the God. We have been entrusted with something, and it's precious, absolutely precious. That's why Paul uses this language of, of receiving and delivering. That's actually technical language in the ancient world. It was a way of saying, in the ancient world, the way that you made sure that something was passed on from one generation to another was that you, you guarded it, you protected it, you never messed with it, you never changed the wording, you memorized it, and then you would teach it and entrust it to someone else, to the next generation. And Paul says, that's exactly what I did with the things of first importance. I received them, and then I turned like a gospel relay like someone handing me a precious baton, I took that baton and I handed it to you, Corinthians. Imagine a woman carrying a briefcase with a chain that's tied around her wrist, carrying like precious documents that she cannot lose. They have to be delivered to, to someone else. Or I'm having all these images to help you get this. Imagine an armored truck carrying tons and tons of cash, right? Precious cargo. Or here's a better image. Imagine a grandmother standing over her cedar chest. It's her granddaughter's wedding day, and she opens the chest, and she pulls out something that is precious to her an heirloom that she entrusts to her granddaughter. This is what Paul's talking about. So when we say we're Christ-centered, the reason we're Christ-centered, the reason we preach Christ-centered sermons, the reason we're building Christ-centered ministries is not just so that those ministries will thrive, it's because that is the way that God has ensured that the gospel will be passed on from one generation to the next, to the next. But here's the thing, my friends. This cannot be done only by leaders, only by small group leaders, only by pastors, only by elders. This requires the collective whole of the body of Christ. Do you know what I mean by that? I need you. We need you. We cannot do this without you. 
you are a part of this church family. We need you to be a person who's made a decision. I'm going to be a follower of Jesus who is going to receive this precious truth of the gospel and I'm going to guard it with my life and I'm going to be a part of a community that treasures it and protects it and passes it along. I'm going to be the kind of disciple who's always growing in gospel truth, centering my entire life around the, around the person of Christ. I'm going to partner with my pastors and my leaders and my, and my small group leaders and my brothers and sisters in this community, and I'm going to be a part of this mission that's so vital. We are going to build a community of Christ for the world. And we have to do it together. We have to do it together. Amen? Are you with me? Yes? Good. All right. That's number one. That's number one. The truth of Christ is our foundation. Here is commitment number two. The proclamation of Christ is our priority. The proclamation of Christ. It's our number one goal. Because before anything else, right, we know the gospel is an announcement from God. The gospel's news, really good news. And what do you do with amazing news? You announce it. You proclaim it. You can't not tell people about it because it's changed your life so much. This is what Paul did in verse 1. There's a little play on words there. Look really closely at verse 1. When Paul says, I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, those two words, gospel and preach, they're actually the same word. They both have the Greek word euangelion in them. So he's basically saying, the gospel that I gospeled to you, it's good news. And what did I do with it? I good newsed it. <laughs> I announced it to you. I proclaimed it to you. That's what you do with news. You proclaim it. It's the gospel's news. The gospel's not good advice. It's not advice. Although there's great advice all over the Bible, the Bible is filled with amazing advice. Go to the book of Proverbs. So much great advice, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul. And love the Lord your God with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Really good advice, right? There's, there's amazing advice all over the Proverbs. Here's one of my favorite Proverbs, Proverbs 27, 14. Live by this. This is great advice. If you... Wake your friend in the early morning by shouting, rise and shine. It will sound to him more like a curse than a blessing. All right? That's good advice, okay? And there's great advice all over the Bible. But hey, the gospel's not advice. The gospel's news. The gospel's not a command either. It's not advice and it's not a command. There are amazing commands in the Bible. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's an amazing command, really important. Did you know that's not the gospel? The gospel is not a command of something that you are supposed to do. The gospel is an announcement of incredible news of something that God has already done for you. And the purpose of the church is to protect that distinction and to never lose sight of the fact that we are proclaimers. We are pro when we gather, we're not here just to give you good advice, although you will get great advice along the way. We are not here to, 
to burden you with a bunch of commands, although there will be times when commands will come through in the scripture. The primary purpose of the church, the gathered church, is to announce good news. But here's the other thing that's really interesting about this passage. Look again at verse 15, 1. The gospel is not reserved for non-Christians. Okay? We make the mistake of thinking that the gospel is for unbelievers, but Paul says, I would remind you, believers, of the gospel that I preach. In other words, Paul said, Christians can be forgetful. <laughs> we, in fact, sometimes we can forget the most basic truths of the Christian faith. We need to be reminded all the time. And so Paul said, I'm going to remind you of the, of the most important thing, the, 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 of the things of first importance. And I have a feeling Paul did that over and over and over again in his ministry, over and over again. I love this. So let me make an observation about the moment that we're in right now. Because I believe that River West Church, we are in a moment of incredible opportunity right now. Incredible opportunity. I think that COVID has peeled back the curtain in our world, in our country, in our state, in our city. It's peeled back the curtain and it has revealed some things about life here on planet Earth, about human beings, about, about our hopes, our dreams, about the kinds of things that we depend upon, that we build our lives upon. I think COVID has just stripped a bunch of that bear and said, let me show you behind the curtain. And this is an incredible opportunity for the church who's committed to keeping Christ as the foundation, who's committed to being people who proclaim the good news of Jesus, amen. What an opportunity for the church to shine the light of gospel truth into this world. Have you not seen it in the conversations you've had with people in your life? Think of the, think of the things that have been stirred up in the average friend or neighbor or coworker that you know. Like never, like never before we have realized people are dying for connection, right? Real connection. People long to be together, gathered. It's, it's a human thing. What an opportunity for the church. I was here on Wednesday night with the college group and we were talking about all the different things that we've sort of taken for granted and then COVID made us realize, oh, I miss that so much. And we were talking about, I miss just being in the church. I miss hugging people. One of the college girls said to me, she, she goes, you're not gonna believe this. I miss the taste of our old communion crackers. I was like, are you nuts? <laughs> but you compare them to the ones we're using now, those things are gourmet, those old ones, right? What, think, think of the things we miss connecting with someone. But wait a minute, my friends, your neighbor misses that too. What an opportunity. COVID has revealed to us that online community is never going to be a substitute because so often the things that happen online are toxic and divisive and mean 
they train us to assume the worst in one another. Oh, what an opportunity to create a counterculture in here. We want people, this, I'm, I'm actually stealing from my third point. <laughs> we want people to leave that world and come into this world and, and, and have their breath taken away by the kind of gospel culture that we've created in this space. And we have to do it together. But here's the, the most important one. People like never before are open to having conversations about Jesus. Never before. Barna did a study last month, and I couldn't believe this. I read it twice to make sure I'd read it. They, they, they polled non-Christians, and they discovered that almost 50% of non-Christians would like to have a conversation with someone about Christianity. But here's what, it said, here's what they said. As long as that conversation is not mean, which tells you something that unbelievers had to add that. <laughs> as long as that conversation is nice and gracious and kind, unbelievable. People want to have a conversation. They want to talk about they want to. They want to hear about Jesus. And that brings me back to my point. What does it mean to be Christ-centered? It means as a community, we're, ha we're asking Jesus to open our eyes to see what's happening and, and to remind us we are first and foremost proclaimers of the good news of Jesus. And yes, sometimes that means inviting someone into this space, but also sometimes it just means inviting someone to go on a walk where you talk to them about how Jesus has changed your life. So it's true of our church, but it's, I need it to be true of your life. And so I want to ask you a question. Is that, is that one of your primary commitments in your life? Are you committed to being a person who proclaims the glory, the truth, the hope of Jesus? I hope so. I hope so. I need your help. Here's number three. This one will go fast. We'll land the plane here. So, so the truth of Christ is our foundation. The proclamation of Christ is our priority. But I love this one. It's so important. The person of Christ is our example. The person of Christ. The danger of this kind of talk, Christ the center and a mission statement, and the danger is to turn Christ into an abstract idea, into a proposition, into a doctrine. Christ is not a doctrine. Jesus Christ is a person. He is the living Lord of the universe. He is seated right now at the right hand of the Father. He's defeated death. He walked out of a tomb. He ascended. He is reigning and ruling right now. And he has set for us an example of how we are supposed to function as a community. And that example is right there in that gospel summary that Paul gives us. Paul says, what was it that I delivered to you of first importance? The truth that Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, the creator of heaven and earth, what did he do? He squeezed himself into frail humanity. He died on a cross. He allowed himself to be tortured and humiliated. He suffered. He bled. He entered a tomb. And he rose again in power. 
that truth is our foundation, yes. The proclamation of that truth is our priority, 100%. But also, that example, the way Jesus lived, that's our model for how we function, how we treat one another, the kind of culture we're going to create here. We're going to look to Jesus Christ and say, show us what it looks like. Let me close by taking you to Philippians 2, which, by the way, is not only an amazing passage, and you know it well, this was the, this was the passage that Derek used to write that amazing prayer. And what I want to show you is, from Philippians 2, this idea is all over the New Testament. I could go to almost any book in the New Testament and show you that the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ are more than just truths that bring about our salvation. They set an example for the Christian community, how we are to live. Philippians 2, 1 through 5. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Look at this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Can you imagine what the world would be like if every single person just did that? <laughs> it would change the world. That's amazing. Do nothing from selfish ambition, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. But look at this. And why? What's the connection? Who's the model? Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I'm not just going to strap a bunch of burdens on you, a bunch of commands. What I'm going to do is I'm going to show you how Christ is the example of everything that I'm asking you to do. His death, his resurrection. Because Paul goes on and he, and he recites this hymn that's all about Christ humbling himself even to the point of death on a cross. And Paul says, now, take that, take that example, take that willingness of our Savior to live in that way. And as a church, as a collective whole, make that your mind together as a community. What would it look like in 2021 for our church to be Christ-centered in that way? Jesus is our example. What would it look like in our small group gatherings? How would we talk to one another? How would we treat one another? What kind of things would we talk about? Do we have Christ-centered conversations? How do we talk about other people in our community? When we're talking about other people in our community, are we allowing Jesus to be there to be sort of the filter that, that filters away things that, that, that he would never have us say to one another? When we send an email to someone in our community, do we send that email to Jesus first and say, will you filter out anything that's not Christ-centered? <laughs> what if you did that? What would that be like? Christ-centered emails, Christ-centered conversations, Christ-centered worship, Christ-centered preaching, Christ-centered small groups, Christ-centered formation, Christ-centered disciples, Christ-centered community. I love it. I love it. It's our mission statement. 
And I'm asking you, will you commit? Will you go with us? Let's pray together. Will you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, how we thank you, Lord. How we thank you for your word. How we thank you for the gospel. The gospel is not one truth among many. It's the central truth. It is the truth of first importance. And as a church, we're going to build on that truth, Lord. Thank you, Father. May we remember our calling to be proclaimers of good news. When we gather, yes, but also as we have scattered. Each and every one, each and every sister and brother, proclaimers first, help us. And Jesus, may we follow you in your example, we pray. Thank you, we ask. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen.